This talk was given at the North Carolina Zen Center. Our programming is made possible through the support of our members and friends. If you would like to make a donation to the center or become a member, please visit us at www.nczencenter.org. We have found that it can aid one's understanding of a Dharma talk or Taisho if you sit in meditation beforehand, and we encourage you in this practice. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Uh, ooh, we had a, the introductory workshop last weekend on Saturday. It was a good turnout. <clears throat> and part of, with these intro workshops, part of what you're up against is explaining a lot in a very short period of time um, with a lot of different experience levels and a lot of different questions. And, and so one of the things that um, we really didn't have time to get into last weekend uh, but I think is an important topic, is the topic of pain. So I'd like to spend a little while talking about pain this morning and um, maybe get people's uh, take on it. Um, of course, there's lots of kinds of pain. Um, and um, we'll spend most of the today talking about physical pain. And I'm going to pull mostly from two articles that I came across. One I came across from a friend of mine who uh, sent me an article from the New York Times. And the other article is from The Lion's Roar, which is a Buddhist quarterly magazine um, with with some quite good material in in it. Um, But I want to start with a, a saying that's attributed to the Buddha. He said... When touched with a feeling of pain, the ordinary, uninstructed person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breast, and becomes distraught. So he feels two pains, physical and mental, just as if they were to shoot a man. That's our candle taking a leak. It does that once in a while. I don't know. It must be the kind of wax, this particular kind of candle. Um, so, uh, just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterwards were to shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pain of two arrows. Let me repeat that. When touched with a feeling of pain, the ordinary uninstructed person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats his breast, becomes distraught. So he feels two pains, physical and mental, just as if they were to shoot a man with an arrow and right afterward were to shoot him with another one so that he would feel the pains of two arrows. So this first article, I'm just going to read parts of. Um, it's called After Surgery in Germany, I Wanted Vicodin, Not Herbal Tea. And it's by uh, Feruza uh, Dumasjan. Um, it's actually just from a few weeks ago. 
she, she, she begins. She said, I recently had a hysterectomy here in Munich where we moved from California four years ago for my husband's job. I brought up the subject of painkillers with my gynecologist weeks before my surgery. She said that I would be given ibuprofen. Is that it, I asked? What's that? Uh, that's what I take when I have a headache. The removal of an organ certainly deserves more. That's all you'll need, she said, with the body confidence that comes from a lifetime of skiing in crisp alpine air. I decided to pursue the topic with the surgeon. He said the same thing. He was sure that the removal of my uterus would not require narcotics afterwards. I didn't want him to think I was a drug addict, but I wanted a prescription for something that would knock me out, at least for the few nights and maybe half of the day. The mount, with mounting panic, I decided to speak with the anesthesiologist, my last resort. The anesthesiologist explained that during surgery and recovery, I would be given strong painkillers. But once I got home, the pain would not require narcotics. To paraphrase him, he said, pain is a part of life. We cannot eliminate it, nor do we want to. The pain will guide you. You will know when to rest more. You will know when you are healing. If I give you Vicodin, you will no longer feel the pain. Yes, but you will no longer know what your body is telling you. You might overexert yourself because you're no longer feeling the pain signals. And all you need is rest. And please be careful with ibuprofen. It's not good for your kidneys. Only take it if you must. Your body will heal itself with rest. She says, I didn't mention that I use ibuprofen like candy. Why else do they come in such jumbo sizes at American warehouse stores? I wonder, I wonder how, much, how many of us here can relate um, habitually doing that same thing, reaching for the ibuprofen. She goes on, his gentle suggestion to trust my body almost brought me to tears. It reminded me of the poster in my doctor's waiting room, the one informing us to use herbal tea as the first remedy to try when we have a cold. The first remedy I try is the decongestions I bring with me from the United States. I can't find those in Germany, nor can I find the children's cough medicine that makes my child drowsy. I also import that. Come to think of it, I bring a lot of medicine with me from the United States, all over the counter, all intended to take away discomfort. The German doctors were telling me that being uncomfortable is okay. My first night home after surgery, I didn't sleep well because of the pain from the carbon dioxide pumped into my body from the laparoscopy. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, had I had something to dock me out, I would have taken it. I took two ibuprofens the first day. In, hins- in hindsight, I didn't need them, but I felt like I should take something. What I really needed was patient pills, patience pills, and a few distractions. It got me thinking about you know this crisis we're in in this country about opioids. 
when I got uh, when I when I had a hernia surgery a couple years ago, I got a prescription of opioids, and I think it was um, something like 120 of them. I mean, the bottle was absolutely enormous, and I think everybody here is probably aware that we're in we're in a um, epidemic of opioid use and overuse and addiction. Um, but it seems to be mainly in this country, not in other countries. I want to switch gears to um, another article. This one is called Buddhism's Pain Relief. It's by Rick Heller, and it's back from 2010. I thought it was quite good. He begins, actually this is a couple paragraphs in. He says, although we commonly experience physical pain as a single phenomenon, it's actually composed of distinct elements that include the sensation itself and an aversive element we call suffering. Not only does aversion create suffering, which again is this second arrow, that the Buddha talked about. It is increasingly clear that a person's attitude can affect the pain sensations themselves, which is the first arrow. So I think here it's worth distinguishing pain from suffering, which um, I think most of us are familiar with if if we practice long enough, but uh, that our culture certainly does not distinguish When I first worked as a clinician in a mental health clinic, it was not uncommon to see people that suffered from chronic pain. Um, And what I I was treating, of course, was the depression, often the anxiety around the pain. But the treatment was quite uh, simple in a lot of ways. The, The first thing was to treat, to process the, the feelings about the pain. And to really address the, the loss of identity, the loss of ability, the, to really dig into the um, changes that people had to go through in terms of their identities. This became the major issue to address with pain. So much of the pain that we experience, the suffering that we experience, is really wrapped up in identity. How we identify and how when we experience pain, how that um, in our minds, that interrupts our uh, fixed notion of ourself and the way things should be.
we, as the Buddha says, we suffer because of the thoughts about the pain, not because of the physical sensation itself. Now, while this is true, one thing we should be aware of as practitioners is then sort of slingshotting ourselves to the other extreme and making an enemy out of thought. Sort of pitting ourselves against our own thinking. You know, if I, if, if I suffer because I think too much about my pain, then, well, the remedy is to, to stop thinking um, or to change my thinking. And what happens often is then we become, as I spoke about last week, is we get caught up in positive thinking, trying to generate positive thoughts about our experience. And if we're not careful, that too becomes a problem. Because then, again, what we're doing is we're setting up a duality between us and our thoughts. The truth is that the, you know, the thinking, the feeling, and the pain sensation itself are all intertwined. In our culture, it seems actually that it reinforces this idea that, um, that when we are in emotional or uh, pain or pain because of our thoughts, that we don't get much sympathy. We don't get much empathy. We actually, if you, if you consider for a second, I think people would agree that we, we tend to be more empathetic or sympathetic for people that are in physical pain as, as opposed to mental pain. Like, for some reason, that's, we give that much more weight in our culture. I came across an old Peanuts cartoon, um, and Lucy is um, saying... She says, I'm worried about a little boy who sits in front of me at school. He cries every day. This afternoon I tried to help him. I whacked him one on the arm. There's nothing like a little physical pain to take your mind off your emotional problems. There's a a famous pain um, doctor who I think just died um, a couple years ago, Dr. John Sarnos. Um, He said, if you ask people to ease up on you because you're emotionally overloaded, don't look for a sympathetic response, but tell them you've got pain or some other physical symptom and they immediately become responsive. What, he also said, what, one must then do is develop the habit of thinking psychologically instead of physical. In other words, I suggest to patients that when they find themselves being aware of the pain, they must consciously and forcefully shift their attention to something psychological, like something they are worried about, a chronic family or financial problem, a recurrent source of irritation, anything in the psychological realm. For that sends a message to the brain that they're no longer deceived by the pain. When that message reaches the depths of the mind, the subconscious, the pain ceases. 
So going back to the article for a second to get a little bit more of a handle on what's going on here, there's a famous um, or well-known researcher named Ronald Siegel, and he's on the clinical faculty of the Harvard Medical School. And he says that the practice of mindfulness can alleviate suffering, and in some cases it can reduce the volume of physical the physical pain sensations. Siegel is a specialist in the treatment of chronic back pain. He says most causes of back pain, he believes, are caused by muscular tension rather than structural problems in the body. That back pain and many other pain disorders stem from a feedback loop stirred by fear and negative thoughts that make muscles tight. He, he says, once we experience a pain sensation that we're afraid is due to an injury, we bring all of our attention to it. And simply the bringing of fearful attention to pain increases the experience of pain. These disorders are maintained by the fear of the disorder. I think so. You can, we can all relate to this. I certainly can relate to it in the most simple ways. Um, especially in the practice of Zazen, how many of us have sat and got consumed with the idea that the pain we're experiencing during the sitting will somehow cripple us, will somehow injure us. It can be as simple as our leg falling asleep during a round of sitting. And and we, we get into the idea that, oh my God, the bell's going to ring, and I'm not going to be able to stand up, and and you know the keenheen line's going to continue without me, and then um, what are people going to think about me? And uh, I'm not going to be you know seen as a strong practitioner, or uh, you know, and so and it goes on and on, and then of course the the pain in the leg gets worse and worse, right? It becomes all consuming. So part, you know, this is really uh, what this what he's pointing to. <clears throat> How when we obsess about a pain sensation, the muscles begin to tense, and it becomes worse. It becomes the feedback loop. This article is really interesting. It goes on. It says. He says, in such cases, he believes that not only suffering, but the amount of muscle pain itself can be reduced by a change in attitude. By turning our attention towards the phenomenon that we're afraid of and trying, in essence, to say yes to the sensations, that whole aversion response tends to drop away. It may seem strange that we can feel intense pain sensations without anything major being wrong. In the West, until recently, the standard view has been that physical pain is a warning sign of tissue damage, and that the greater the pain, the greater the damage. The theory came under challenge after World War II because the anomalies like the observation by U.S. 
army doctors and Harvard Medical School anesthesiologists that some soldiers who are severely wounded in battle appear to suffer surprisingly little pain from their wounds. So modern scientists no longer refer to a pain center, but to a pain matrix in the brain, reflecting the understanding that several different brain regions contribute to the experience of pain. Neurofibers carry pain signals up the spine to a key branching point in the brain called the thymus. From there, pain signals travel along the pathway to a brain region that contains a map of the human body. It records the sensory aspects of pain and tells us where it hurts. Our response to fear and our response to pain overlap in this region. This area prepares the body to flee. When alarmed, we tense our muscles so we can get away quickly. But as Ronald Siegel warns, if our muscles stay tense for a long time, this can lead to additional pain. And then, of course, what happens when we experience these pain sensations without fear, without that additional tensing, then a lot of the pain disappears. People experience this in Sashin, our intensive retreats, where we've made a commitment to sit together for hour after hour and to 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 work with our pain. Of course, a lot of people go through the mental exercise of, well, I can always leave, you know. And, and um, of course, that's always an option. But once we decide not to give ourselves that out, it's interesting what we can do with that decision to not leave. And instead, we decide to stay. And when I mean stay, not just stay in the sashim, but to stay put with our experience, to stay present with our experience. And it only takes one or two times when we make that commitment to stay present, to choose the practice over the thoughts about leaving or fleeing, to teach us that uh, that pain can completely disappear. And once we have that experience in our, uh, behind us, we can always then choose that again. We can always go there even more and more deeply. So rather than keep going on and on, I'm I'm aware for some reason that our time got cut this morning. Um, I think we sat longer. Uh, But I wanted to um, really open it up to everybody to see what your experience is with sitting and pain. 
um, do you relate to this, the, the experience of the two arrows, of, of um, the, the experience of suffering through the addition of thoughts upon your experience, the commenting on experience? And have you experienced relief from not going there? And how do you practice this? How do you work with it? Do you experience chronic pain? Do you experience uh, um, some sort of uh, pain that that is made worse through the thinking process? So if anybody has any thoughts, I welcome them. Yeah, I just relate to the uh, pain building up and as you think about it more, it gets worse. Mm. Uh, and yeah, sometimes I've found that if I just uh, like breathe, just concentrate on breathing and even breathe into the area, like if it's my knee, think about trying to breathe into my knee, which, yeah, sometimes works. Yeah. This was interesting because I left twice because I had so much pain that I could not not sit still. Yeah. Um, And it's, and I know it's muscular pain because I go to PT all the time. And it's interesting because what she does is try to relax those muscles. That's right. Yeah. Uh, But I've never, I've never connected it with any thought, particularly something to think about. Yeah. Or not think about. Yeah, I think you know this this idea that we get caught in this loop of tension where we have the ideas of fear, uh, the the, the fear response, and then the tensioning of muscles. Uh, Of course, from Buddhist perspective, the the mind is is also like a muscle that we tense, and that um, you know, can we work with the mind as as we do with relaxing the body in the same way of noticing when we're tense up here and reconnecting with the experience of the breath or whatever the practice is to to sort of unknot that that muscle of the mind
for all those years. So I, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Later in the article, she... It's, it's torn, actually. Yeah, it's interesting what she says. There's a researcher who actually interviews people uh, when they come in and uh, listens to the language that they use in describing their pain or describing what's happened to them. And what I noticed when you said that was my knee gave out. And how that, um, that, that what you're describing is the experience of the pain, you know, through language, it gave out. So what does it mean to give out? You know, specifically. Well, I mean, what I mean is I can't put any weight on this leg for very long, or else I, I fall down, or okay. the pain gets excruciating, and apparently the tear gets a little bigger. <laughs> In the meniscus. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, I do it all over again the same way. <laughs> Uh -huh. If I started over again. Yeah, yeah. There used to be a culture at the Rochester Zen Center of everybody trying to sit sort of full lotus, you know, round after round with the, the legs tucked all the way in and, you know, for day after day. And it, 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 um, and it was so common for people to tear their meniscus and then have meniscus surgery. Um, there's kind of a macho quality to these. These. This was in the days that, um, in the early days, uh, they used to wear Japanese bathrobes around. These kind of before they actually had real robes. Uh, these young men, especially, you know, wanted to be sort of like samurai, and so they would wear these Japanese bathrobes around, and it became this sort of stoic practice, very macho stoic practice. And a lot of people hurt themselves, and um, I'm glad we're kind of past that stage in practice. But I wonder if if we personally uh, still go through some of that, of needing, we have this idea of what practice should look like, and we sort of get caught up in the idea of the way it should look, the way it should be, in order to be practicing authentically. I'm sure that I did that, yeah. Yeah. I think we all do that. It's a big topic, the topic of pain. Um, I wish we had time. Is this, I, I would highly recommend that you check out this article if you can. From um, It's available on the, on the web. Um, because it really goes into some of the practices of how to work with it through mindfulness. Um, there, there's a lot of research going on about... Uh, a friend of mine actually out in Wisconsin is doing some of the research at the <coughs> university there uh, in Madison uh, about getting this, uh, what's it called, biofeedback and using mindfulness and um, the ways to approach it are um, really in line with the teachings of the Buddha, but um, they're actually using the technology to sort of confirm it through these incredible sort of skull caps they put on with all these little uh, um, electrodes and they're monitoring the different firings in the brain, the different regions of the brain that are lighting up. It's quite actually quite cool to see. What's the article like that? It's called um, Buddhism's Pain Relief. Yeah. Let's see if I can share one more thing from it. 
Let's see. Since we have just a couple minutes. Um, there are two ways by which our attention can affect this, uh, our, our pain sensation. Scientists describe how pain signals from our extremities are filtered at the spine before they ever reach the brain. Uh, like party goers lined up before a nightclub's velvet ropes, pain signals clamor to get through. Whether the spinal gatekeepers admit them depends on instructions from on high. In the case of pain signals, or in the case of pain, signals from the brain pass down to the spine and tell the gatekeepers how exclusive they should be. The descending pathway is usually a regulatory pathway. It could facilitate it or it could inhibit it. Um, this is where emotional states or situations or environment affect the pain sensation. Depending on the attitude and expectations, therefore, we can actually filter out pain before it reaches our consciousness. When we pay fearful attention to pain, however, we instruct the gates to open wide. As a result, we feel more intense pain. The, from, a, from a Zen point of view, the, the, the way to work with pain is to merge with it. To drop the ideas. Because even with this research, it really can leave one going, well, okay, well, how, how do I do that? What do I do? The, the solution is really to become one with whatever we're experiencing. To drop out of this um, obsession with commenting on our experience and um, rather to, to see if we can simply experience without any filter. My... my Experiences that the most, the most, um, uh, the best way, the best way that we can learn to practice with pain is in retreat. Because there again, we've made the commitment to not flinch, to not uh, run from the experience of discomfort. Most of the time in our daily life, we are so consumed and so encouraged to distract ourselves that we don't really stand a chance. One of the things you can practice is noticing how quickly you reach for a distraction when you're in pain. How quickly the, um, the habit mind comes in and encourages you to try to, to go elsewhere, so to speak, to uh, take that Aleve or ibuprofen or to, um, to somehow change the environment or to um, somehow complain about the experience. 
And uh, to, to use it as a mindfulness, mindfulness practice to really um, begin to get a handle on uh, how much of our lives are spent in that reactive state rather than being able to sit with it. As you know, in, in social policy, uh, one of the bad things we do is blame the victim. Uh, the poor are poor because something's wrong with them. And with this, since I live with someone who's in pain, I feel like this is close to blaming the victim. That I was thinking how to put this in practice and, and, and going home and if trying to figure out how to say something like this without blaming the victim. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the fact that you're, you're, looking, you're, you're looking for chemical solutions, you're looking for uh, escapes, you're looking for this, you're looking for that. Um, and it's just trouble. Yeah. Yeah, of course we're not. I, I, I hope we. Um, it's not. I, people understand that it's not about blaming, um, but working with others is an interesting is an interesting prospect because I found that when we're dealing with somebody in pain, uh, we're not only dealing with somebody else in pain, but we're dealing with our own pain. We're dealing with our own anxieties. Uh, when somebody's in pain, it's very difficult to just be present with them and not want to offer solutions, not to want to say to them, well, have you tried this or have you tried that? Um, to be able to just sit with somebody and not try to offer something, that's really challenging because then we're sitting in our own pain. And, and, and uh, the solution finding is often part of the problem, right? It's that constant looking for solutions that becomes... In the problem. So we focused on physical pain, and I resonate a lot of what's been said. And um, one thing I find trickier, though, is like mood, something that kind of pers- seems to persist much longer, because with pain, I can sit with it and get very interested in it, and just, there's all kinds of things going on, and mm-hmm. I can make me very present, and uh, I, I don't tend to identify with it as much as I do my mood, mm-hmm. and so, um, not that I don't ever identify go down that road but um, yeah mood just seems trickier yeah 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 so 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 part of part of dealing with mood I think is just experience is is um, is having enough time practicing that we eventually get to the point where we don't take our mood so seriously it's not that moodiness stops it's that we don't get involved so much in it that we learn that 
our moods, like everything else, change. Right? That it, if we give it enough time, it will shift. And so we don't buy so much into it. And so I think part of what happens is with the moodiness is we get caught in the experience and we trick ourselves into thinking, well, this is it. This is sort of, this is where I'm at. And um, being able to step back from that and, and notice that this is, um, uh, I've been here before and it will change. That, I hear what you say, um, that just seems in my experience, the pain, it's more acute and the temporality of it is, is yeah. sh- much shorter. So, whereas mood, I mean, I definitely experience changes in my mood, but sometimes it can seem like a, a week, two weeks, mm-hmm. three days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then even years, you know, and then mm-hmm. you kind of reflect, oh, damn, I kind of just have this disposition, you know. Right. And uh, um, so, yeah, so for me, it's, uh, it's easy to identify with that, you know, because it's like, fuck, you know. Yeah, because you're still fighting. Yeah. There's still a fight going on. Yeah. But, I mean, yes and no, because, like, I do notice when uh, I'm not so much in that disposition, that low-grade mood or whatever, um, but I've sat on the retreats and stuff and been up and down, and Mm -hmm. um, it does tend to be more of a disposition than, say, knee pain or back pain. Yeah. yeah. When you when you say disposition, though, so there's the identity with it, right? Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come and go the way physical pain does, and then maybe that's because I'm lucky not to suffer from chronic pain. So yeah, yeah, or physical chronic. Right. Yeah, my experience again is that given given practicing long enough. You learn to. Um, it's not. It's not really se- separating ourselves from it. It's not stepping outside of it, but just having enough experience um, under our belt to ride these things out and not let them consume us. Okay. Does anybody else have anything? We're a little bit over time. So we'll stop here and we'll recite the four vows. <laughs>